We live inside a dream. Welcome to Dudes Dissect and Double Tap, the only podcast dedicated to the 2019 sequel of the movie Zombieland. Uh, my oh name my is Eric God, Keppel. My name is Jeremy Schmidt. Are you fucking kidding me? That's your intro right now? Dude, yeah, I had to watch Zombieland Double Tap with my dad on Christmas. <laughs> he turned it on. Like? Dude, okay. Fucking, this movie is insane. I, cut, cancel Paths of Glory. We're not talking about that today. This is, okay. an all, this is all about Zombieland 2. Uh, okay, have you seen it, Eric? No, I have not. This movie is a full-on MAGA movie, like front cover to back cover. I am fucking... I have I have personally canceled everyone involved with the making of this film. <laughs> this thing is like the most pro-gun, anti-Hispanic, like fucking anti-liberal like America movie I've ever seen. One of the whole plots of the film is that like... If, if we were in a zombie apocalypse, liberals would like still be vegan and fucking like create communes in which they were like nonviolent, peaceful, and they're a bunch of assholes. Like that's the idea that like the movie posits. Jesus. This, it's cr- it is crazy. And on top of that, it's got some of the worst writing I've ever heard in a film period. Like even my dad, who kind of a MAGA guy, just like, yeah, yeah like halfway through the movie was like, I guess they just didn't know what to do in this one <laughs> it was crazy it was legit crazy you got you gotta see it <laughs> i mean it sounds intriguing i gotta say uh i mean i mean no. seriously my read I, I don't think my read is even being uh you know hyperbolic of the film it's it's crazy like th- like at some point bill murray makes oh yeah i guess spoiler alert bill murray is again in the movie uh, he makes fun of like some Hispanic lady for speaking English at a pre- or speaking Spanish at a press junket, and because she's turned into a zombie, he violently bashes her over the head with like a fucking sign. <laughs> God. It's it's it is so rambunctiously awful. Like, <laughs> but that was my Christmas. How was yours, buddy? It was great. We uh, <laughs> you know we gathered around. What did I? You know, we watched we watched the first two uh, installments of the Santa Claus series. Is what we watched. How's the second? The second one is fucking bonkers, dude. The second one, I think I tweeted about this because I forgot. So the plot of the second movie uh, of the Tim Allen's The Santa Claus is uh, he has twenty eight days to find a wife, or he will no longer be Santa Claus. <laughs> and also, he finds out that his son, who is now a teenager, is on the naughty list for doing graffiti in the uh, in his like high school gymnasium. Oh, it's crazy! Great. Is is it the He's same like actors? A, like the same actor who played the kid? No, I think the kid is different, mm, but bummer. he's he's like doing like tagging and stuff. I love. <laughs> it's that. really funny. Yeah. Does he find a wife? Uh, no spoilers. Okay, but no spoilers. Bill no spoilers. Murray does show up. 
<laughs> oh, that's great. I believe the third Santa Claus film has got Martin Short as Jack Frost. Yes. Oh, buddy, I have seen it. <laughs> I, You know what? After the first one, I decided I loved it, and that's all I needed from the Santa Claus. I didn't need a whole trilogy, you know? I had the, I had the wherewithal to stop it after one. Yeah, I'm not gluttonous, Eric. I'm not a glutton when it comes to film. <laughs> if I like, if I like a film enough, I might go. You know what? I want to keep this where where it belongs with which is just one. No, I don't need. I don't need a sequel. I don't need a prequel. No, thank you, Alvin and the Chipmunks, the Squeakquel. I, I got. I like the first movie, starring Jason Lee. <laughs> um, I I do recommend it though. Next next Christmas, you got you got to watch Santa Claus too. I mean, I think I, I I'm. I've got a, you know, I think we're going to have to do an episode on it. We'll probably do an episode about uh, it. I can feel it. (laughs) It's balls to the wall. uh, Crazy. Which, by the way, uh, our buddy Brian, who uh, he's doing, we have a Patreon tier where uh, every, if you are in this specific tier, every, I believe, three or four months, you get to force us to do an episode on anything you want. He sent over a uh, a film for us to watch, which I'm uh, I forgot the name. It looks insane. Oh, cool! But we're, we're gonna have to do this one uh, pretty soon. I believe it is called. Uh, one second here. Probably should have had this pulled up already. It's called Frankenhooker. It's from oh. 1990. I like and the it name. Looks insane. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, anyway, this is uh, Stan and Dave Need Wedding Dates. If you're new to this podcast, we cover, uh, we're working our way chronologically through the work of Stanley Kubrick, David Lynch. Right now, uh, we go back and forth. Today is a Stanley Kubrick episode. We're doing uh, Paths of Glory, mm-hmm. and we also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Eric and Jeremy, where we are doing, I mean, we had a ball this month. We did... Uh, Krampus. We did uh, fucking Gremlins. We're about to record another uh, installment of our Speaking About Crypt Keeping, where mm. we are going through every episode of the uh, Tales from the Crypt series. It's a great time over there. Only five bucks a month. Patreon.com slash Eric and Jeremy. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And if you're not on the Patreon, I, I'm telling you, you gotta get on there. We give we don't give any fucks about this main show. I mean, we phone it in. Right now, I'm getting a freaking massage, okay? I don't care about this main show, but the Patreon show, I put my heart and soul into that. You can quote me. Yeah, I'm literally recording another podcast right now with someone else. <laughs> That's how checked out I am. I'm just like pressing the mute button on my on my microphone yeah. to talk into the other one. I, I, I started a new tab in my in my internet right now, and it just is... I have typed in anything interesting into Google. And so I'm just hoping it comes up with literally anything interesting. Yeah. I just uh, pulled a new tab out of my refrigerator. <laughs> tab Cola. I'm hitting the tab key <laughs> on my keyboard. <laughs> yeah. I'm uh I'm uh, uh, t- t- after this I'm going to a tab concert the Trey Anastasio band we don't have to keep doing this uh, <laughs> we got a lot to talk about Jeremy I uh, I've ju- I talked in a previous episode um, I got a couple of books I am almost done with the audiobook of uh, Room to Dream the David Lynch biography which. I got to figure out a way to like get this to you. I don't know if you have. Uh, uh, we'll talk about this off air because yeah. it's it's fucking awesome. Oh, I want to hear it. Is it uh, is it narrated by him? So this is 
This is what's so great about it is this woman who uh, I'm blanking on her name. Very did a very good job. She interviewed like a hundred people, uh, like ex-wives and people who've worked with David Lynch and like his family and childhood friends, and put together like a straightforward biography. Mm. And then after each chapter, David Lynch just tells stories about what she talked about in that previous chapter. Yeah. And the audiobook, he reads his chapters. Oh, and that's it just sounds like Grandpa Lynch is just like sitting beside the fire telling the <laughs> tales. It's fucking dude, he talks about the first time he jacks off in it. It's like Whoa. insane. And he uh it's he's just such a delight to listen to because everything is like beautiful and fantastic. Yeah. He's truly he amazing. And and his voice, like I'm really soothed by I guess it would be the timber of his voice. Like I really like his uh the way his voice sounds. I, I, I was always like uh, excited when he would come on screen on Twin Peaks because I was like, oh, fuck, yeah. Like he was just so pleasing and funny and, and enjoyable to watch. So I'm excited. I'm excited to hear this. Um, I'll have to. Yeah, you're, we'll, we'll figure it out. It's 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 fucking great. It's it's well worth it. It's like 15 hours, too. I just I just burned through the damn thing. Uh, that's great. And then uh, we'll talk more about that on uh, our next episode where we'll cover Blue Velvet. Um and then I'm working my way through the uh, the Kubrick interviews collection mm. that I got. Very cool. Which uh, is very good. I've ar- I'm already up to the. Uh, um, I'm I'm in the middle of a very long Playboy interview with Kubrick from. Uh, let's see what year this is from. It's 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 right after. It's from '68. It's right after uh, 2001 came out, I believe. Oh, okay, great. Yeah. And he's having this just like very Kubrick's like a fucking genius. Like I'm yeah. reading like just what he says off the cuff in these interviews and I'm like I'm dumb. I have like <laughs> an IQ of 2 compared to <laughs> compared to Kubrick. He's talking just like the, he 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 like it, at this point seems to be, have been like obsessed with outer space and just like uh thinks very deeply about like alien life and things like that. But uh, one thing that I wanted to mention is there is a uh, very good interview with, I think, some guy from The New Yorker. It's not really an interview, but he... Um, this guy from The New Yorker like came out and visited him during for a couple days during the filming of 2001. Mm-hmm. And he talks a lot about like the set pieces and like how crazy like elaborate the set pieces were and like how amazing it is to watch Kubrick direct one thing that he asked Kubrick was like how his directing style compares to like other directors and Kubrick is like oh I've never like watched another director work (laughs) this is like during 2001 so he's like well into his career but also Kubrick like just got so much joy out of beating this New Yorker writer at chess. Uh-huh. <laughs> that sounds like, like my became, guy. Yeah, like, he just became obsessed with uh with with beating this guy at chess. It was very it was very interesting. So uh So yeah, I'll try to uh, I'll try to as I work through these things, I'll try to give you guys some updates. Uh highly recommend both of these. The Kubrick book is called Stanley Kubrick Interviews. I got it from uh Amazon. Amazon. I'm I you yeah. know what? I'm I'm clicking uh purchase on this right as we speak. I, I think You're I want to have this. I think I, I'm doing it. I'm doing the, the definitely the interviews book. This is something I feel like I got to have for the uh 
The old collection, the old shelf. It's well worth it. It's oh, well worth man. it. Oh, man, there's a David um, Fincher one, too. I guess they made a whole series of these, like, uh, director, colon, interviews books. Because it looks like the oh, same font and everything. But, yeah, when we go through uh, freaking out over Fincher, <laughs> you know, we'll uh, we'll have to get that one next. <laughs> that would be a good one. Um, yeah. But, yeah. Um, this is great i'm glad you're doing all this reading i gotta say uh one of my new year's resolutions spoiler alert because i'm sure we'll do a whole episode on new year's resolutions coming up soon (laughs) sure but uh but yeah one of my one of my resolutions is to uh read every book that i have currently in my in my possession like i have all these books on my shelf and i i've maybe like you know like opened them up a little bit got through a couple chapters, fell off. And my goal is like, if I own the book, I'm going to read it. So A, I can get rid of the ones that I don't think I need. And B, so I can get some more books. You know, I don't know. Start a new, a new cycle of reading. Yeah. That's going to be a huge undertaking because from what I understand, you uh, own and live inside of the Mark Twain library, right? That's, that is correct. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm, the comp- I'm the sole proprietor of all of Mark Twain's uh, books and novels uh, that he owned personally. So it's over uh, 6,759 books that I'll be uh, having to get through. And you know what? 2020, though, I think I can do it. I think I can do it. I believe in you. He has multiple um, copies of uh, War and Peace, and I'm counting those as two books. <laughs> um, so, you know, I went to high school with War and Peace. Oh. Uh, so, 1957 wow. is when... <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Paths of Glory uh, came out. Uh, 57, just a couple of the highlights. Um, bacon cost 60 cents per pound. Uh, the I first really thought you were going to say bacon was invented in 1957. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, the first Frisbee is released in the U.S. I guess that implies that there it was around in another country first. I don't know. Sure. But uh, the space race begins with the uh, USSR launch of Sputnik 1. Uh, the Mackinac, this is for the Michigan heads out there. The Mackinac suspension bridge opens in the upper, uh, connecting the upper and lower peninsulas of Michigan. Huge. Uh, movies that came out in 57, uh, we have the bridge on the river Kwai, which mm-hmm. from what I understand is kind of like the main, uh, I don't know if, uh, 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 Arrival uh, film is like the right term for this, but this is kind of like the main competitor, I think. Oh, you Pads mean of Glory in that uh, year? Like it's the other. Like big they came out at the same time, or yeah, it's like the other big like war film from that year. Oh, gotcha. I guess is what yeah. I mean. Um, Sayonara, Peyton Place, uh, The Curse of Frankenstein, Old Yeller, Island in the Sun, Farewell to Arms. Uh, Freddie got fingered. Twelve Angry Men <laughs> <laughs> facing the crowd. Uh, yeah, so Twelve great, Angry Men, great. I would say, is like uh, another huge one, right? That's the Sidney LeMay Twelve Angry Men. That's like that's incredibly famous. I would also say uh, a personal favorite of mine that came out this year is Ingmar Bergman's The Seventh Seal. Have you ever seen that film, Eric? No, I haven't seen much Bergman, if any. Oh man, um, to be honest. Yeah, uh, Ingmar Bergman's The Seventh Seal is that is that film where you might have seen like images of like death playing chess with like a knight. Okay, he's like that bald guy in a black all black robe. 
He's uh, and it's like it's supposed to be death. Anyway, it's uh, Ingmar Bergman is probably. I don't know. I don't know. I always go back and forth on whether it's him or Kubrick as my favorite all-time favorite directors. But he's he's definitely if he's not number one, he's number two. Ingmar Bergman, I think, is uh, amazing. He's he's just got. I mean, Steven Spielberg once said, "I wish I was half the director Ingmar Bergman is." Like he's just like a fucking uh, nightmare. The guy is great. Uh, all of his films can be seen, I think, on the Criterion Channel if you're a subscriber to that. They're they're uh, they're great. I would love to cover his films at some point. Um, I would uh, I would love to do that too. Because uh, yeah, I should. I feel like I should. Uh, I feel like there's one one film of his that I've like watched uh, when I was like too young to appreciate it. And yeah. just haven't haven't taken the deep dive, but maybe it was Persona that looks familiar. Yeah, Persona is uh, also very, very famous. Yeah, this is like he's like one of the all time fucking all time fucking greats. You know, there's Kurosawa, Ingmar Bergman, Scorsese. <laughs> you know, it's like there's like Cassavetes, I guess Kubrick. Yeah, um, but. Yeah, no, I think this is Elizabeth this is like a pretty Wilde, this Olivia yeah, Wilde. Olivia Wilde. This is a pretty fertile year. Elizabeth Banks. There's a like this is a really <laughs> fertile year for uh, film, though. I think this is like this is like a lot of good stuff. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. This is like the first. This is the first year uh, in like the Kubrick era uh, in the Kubrick episodes where I'm like, oh, I actually kind of like recognize some of these mm-hmm. and like know that they're that they're good. Yeah, and and I will say um, to kind of bridge our way into this episode, this is the first incredibly significant Kubrick film on its on its own merit. Yes. I think that the other films that we've seen and we've covered so far have been good in in on various levels of good, uh, some not good, <laughs> some uh, uh, pretty good. This is the first film that is like absolutely excellent and is considered a work of excellence i i really do feel like that the killing i think comes close but it's i don't know it's just like it's just like in this film you really get the sense that he gets it and he's playing with themes and ideas that he's going to continue to play with for the rest of his career i i really think this is i i feel like almost kubrick feels like this he wishes this was his first film because it it also feels like a first film it's not but it feels like the the first real film he made, I think. Yeah, I got that sense when I was watching this too, is because I haven't seen like a lot of these Kubrick movies. Um, it's definitely none of these early ones, and this was the first one where I was like, "Well, that was fucking great." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, and I think we're I think we're just kind of like in for in for some good stuff going yeah. forward. I'm also uh, uh, ashamed to say that this is the first time I've ever seen this movie. I actually haven't seen Paths of Glory before, oh, so so it was uh, today, renting it on old Amazon Prime, which is such a fucking bummer. Like the Criterion Channel, which I subscribe to, doesn't have this film streaming on there, though it has this film in its library. It, it's just a, it's like it's, huh. it's like why, <laughs> just just put it on there. I'm sick of spending three ninety nine every time I want to watch a watch a Kubrick film. Lynch's films yeah. are all over the place. <laughs> Yeah, Blue Velvet should be. I I got a uh, I got the Blue Velvet uh, Blu-ray recently, and oh, nice. uh, if it, if that and all the features are on uh, 
on the Criterion channel because it's a Criterion Collection one. Uh, you're gonna have a good time, my man. There's oh, uh, yeah. there's some good there's some good stuff on there, but uh, but yeah. So uh, POG Paths of Glory, uh, anti-war film uh, directed by Kubrick, based on the novel of the same name by Humphrey Cobb. Uh, set during uh, World War One, uh, although Kubrick's previous film, The Killing, had failed at the box office, it had managed to land several critical top ten lists. Uh, Dor Sherry, uh, then head of production at Metro Goldwyn Mayer. I guess I never saw MGM like spelled out like that <laughs> uh, liked the film and hired Kubrick and Harris to develop the film from uh, MGMA's slush pile of scripts and purchased novels uh, oh so one thing that I read about I don't think I mentioned this yet uh, one thing that you'll read about in this interviews uh, book is there's one interview like earlier on I think it was maybe like right after this film came out where uh, the interviewer asks Kubrick what he does with his money because he, mm-hmm. he, he like kind of lived at that point pretty modestly. And he would basically early on in his career um, just kind of save his money so that when he was, when he found a story that he really liked, he could buy the rights to it. Oh. Um, yeah, which I thought was pretty pretty interesting. Uh, so I yeah, wonder how much that like would put him back. Like I wonder like, roughly how much it costs even today with inflation to purchase the rights to a story i don't know because it would be Um, really fun for us to purchase the rights to a story (laughs) (laughs) yeah we just get in like 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 uh getting in on fucking web domains early we just get into like dealing stories yeah if anyone's ever yeah because you can purchase like someone's life story it would be funny if i purchased your life story i know or if we both purchased brad dorif's life story (laughs) (laughs) um oh by the way we're gonna have to do like a chucky dark soon because uh you remember when so new listeners we used to be a chucky podcast (laughs) uh Go back and listen to the episodes. Very fun stuff. But we we talked about there was a fan-made Chucky movie coming out called Charles. And uh, (laughs) we both kind of were like, thought it looked cool. But like, I personally, I was like, I I don't know if this is actually like, it looks, it's like a very cool idea, but I can't tell if it's like serious or if it's actually going to happen. Anyway, the folks uh, who are working on Charles released a trailer for this movie uh, I retweeted it. It's on our Twitter. It looks fucking great. Yeah. It looks like really, really good. And like high like studio quality. It's like very impressive. That's sick. Um, I'm yeah. uh I, I remember when, when we first started the show, they were like in production or had started production a while ago and we're getting funding still or Yeah. Um But yeah, anyway. Uh so the film uh stars uh Kirk Douglas, mm-hmm. uh, who will see... I thought it was Kirk uh, Duplass, one of the Duplass <laughs> boys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, star of uh, Spartacus and the Puffy Chair. Uh, <laughs> I think he was in 2000 Leagues Under the Sea uh, before this, or no? I don't know if that was... Whatever. Uh, he was like... I think the story with him is like... I, I think he was like a lead, a nice, like handsome leading man, but like wasn't getting a lot of work of substance, right? So like... 
he did this film with Kubrick and it was like almost like I don't think yeah I think he had to take even like a pay cut for it like he was excited though he was like this is great this is gonna be my my fucking big meaningful deep heavy anti-war film um a man just walked outside I don't know if you heard that a man just walked outside my window holding like a Bluetooth speaker. You ever see people walking around just like a street, like a residential area or even like I've seen this in LA too. Like people just walking around with like a Bluetooth speaker, like blasting a song. Oh yeah. Yeah. People do it when they run sometimes when they're like jogging. Mm -hmm. It's bizarre. It's they live in a world where headphones don't exist. Right. Well, I mean, I do that in my own neighborhood with our show, Eric. I I blast it (laughs) as loud as I can as I'm walking my dog around. So I'm just hoping people kind of ask me like, what's, what am I listening to? And I can tell them. That would be great if the SoundCloud numbers were impacted by people who were like forced to overhear (laughs) the the episode. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Ralph Meeker, Adolf Meju. Uh, George McReady. I think uh, I, th- I think you're Morris. mispronouncing Hitler. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Adolf Hitler, <laughs> Wayne Morris, and uh, Richard Anderson. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kubrick approached Kirk Douglas with the script. Douglas instantly fell in love with it, telling Kubrick, "Stanley, I don't think this picture will make a nickel, but we have to make it." Yeah. See. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> After reading the script, Kirk Douglas was impressed and managed to get an advance for a uh, $1 million budget from the United Artists uh, to from United Artists to help produce the film. Uh, Kubrick's filmography shares many visual elements, but thematically the most frequent subject, even more than sexuality, is war. Uh, this is the second war film of his that we've seen. So this is from this is from one of those one of those interviews. It's about it's about uh, Kubrick directing war. It's kind of a long quote, but it's worth it's worth noting. Uh, he said one of the attractions of a war or crime story is that it provides an almost unique opportunity to contrast an individual or our ca- contemporary society with a solid framework of accepted value, uh, which the audience becomes fully aware of and which can be used as a counterpoint to a human individual emotional situation. Further war acts as a kind of hothouse for forced quick breeding of attitudes and feelings, uh, attitudes crystallize and come out into the open conflict is natural when it would in a less critical situation have to be introduced almost as a contrivance, uh, and would thus appear forced or even, worse false mm-hmm. i think that makes sense right yeah 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 what <laughs> so i mean i guess what he's saying is like the it's it 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 war is like a great uh storytelling setting because it's mm-hmm. like there's like built-in conflict already right like it's easy to like create um conflicts in this world of of war warfare i suppose yeah it's what Um, it's what makes kubrick really cool to me is that he always like picked incredibly huge like set pieces and premises of which he would tell like his stories so it's always like Mm. it's always like a war or fucking outer all of outer space you know what i mean it's like it's like he it was so broad in what he like chose to, it's never like this is the story of a man 
on a boat. You know, it's right. like it's always something so big, which it's in, in a way is really cool. It's what makes these other films so weird, like The Shining or Eyes Wide Shut, where it's like almost like an incredibly small in scale uh, story. Like, right. Like he, he makes The Shining feel huge and explosive with the vastness of the hotel. But it's all like one location. You know, it's it, it's just uh, it's 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 kind of a weird thing about his about his filmmaking style. He also said this quote, man isn't a noble savage. (laughs) He's an ignoble savage. He is irrational, brutal, weak, silly, unable to be objective about anything where his own interests are involved. That about sums it up. I'm interested in the brutal and violent nature of man because it's a true picture of him. And any attempt to create social institutions on a false view of the nature of man is probably doomed to failure. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, that is a guy who did not believe in us at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where yeah. do you, I mean, honestly, Eric, uh, I, I mean, we're we're only thirty in our baby thirties. Where where yeah. do you stand on this idea of man? Do you do you tend to agree with him? Do you think man is a ignoble savage, or do you kind of lean towards no? We're all generally pretty good, and and we learn to be bad. Yeah, I think uh, I think I probably lean uh i'm kind of like in the i'm kind of like a you're born as like a blank slate i don't know who had that like fucking theory like the blank slate mm-hmm. theory or whatever um where you're just kind of like born as this like neutral thing and then uh it's like the society and the world around you uh that that kind of shapes shapes, shapes you. you i don't know that like people are just like born as uh fucking like savages mm-hmm. uh i don't know i don't know if i yeah i don't know if i necessarily agree <laughs> agree with that worldview right um but maybe it's the because w- i just like don't really want to sure that's and that's bleak. fair i think that's fair like choosing to believe something more positive than choosing to believe a quite a very possible negative reality is i think very fair mm. i think it's interesting because it's like I don't know. It, it to me, it, it feels like uh, that almost that almost lets us off the hook in a way. That almost like uh, that's almost an excuse. Yeah. yeah. And it's like no, 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 no. We you're acting against your better impulses when you kill someone or when you steal or lie. But um, I don't know. I, there is no right answer. I just think it's interesting because it's truly like the whole this whole worldview is kind of filtered through this and you can see it in every single film he does i mean god forbid 2001 is like he literally shows you the dawn of man <laughs> as right. being right. this murderous nightmare <laughs> um but yeah um, no so paz of glory uh do we have I any other think, i do think podcasters are inherently evil um so the oh, budget yeah, was sure, uh, sure. <laughs> nine hundred thousand, and three hundred thousand of that went to Kirk Douglas's salary. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> musical score by Gerald Freed. Uh, a couple of just like fun bits of trivia. Uh, Winston Churchill said that the film was a highly accurate depiction of trench warfare and the sometimes misguided workings of the military mind. Uh, the film was banned in Spain. Uh, and, uh, it wasn't released until, uh, much later in 86. It was also banned in France and Switzerland. Of course, France. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. 
Uh, Kubrick, widely known as a perfectionist, shot 68 takes of the doomed men's last meal scene. Mm -hmm. Because the details of the scene required that the actors appear to be engaged in the act of eating, a new roast duck had to be prepared for almost every take. Oh, my God. So 68 <laughs> roast ducks. Whoa. <laughs> now that's wild. Uh, during filming, uh, Timothy Carey was disruptive. Uh, he also faked his own kidnapping for personal publicity, causing Stanley Kubrick and producer James B. Harris to fire him. Timothy Carey? Uh, yeah. D who he's plays the he's the guy who Private plays Maurice. He yeah, yeah, he's the guy who's like the uh, social... They call him like a social miscreant or whatever. He's like the, one of the guys yeah. that gets killed. Yes. Wait, yeah, they yeah. how did they fi what do they mean they fired him? He's in the whole movie. <laughs> he was disruptive, they said. He said, I don't know. How do you fire um, someone that's in the whole movie of your movie, though? <laughs> I don't understand. That. I don't know. <laughs> uh, maybe it was toward the end. Who knows? Yeah. But uh, uh, let's see here. I feel like there's one or two other. Oh, yeah. Direct uh, Kubrick met his wife, Christ uh, mm -hmm. Christine. Is it Chris? Yeah. Chris Christian. 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 Yeah. Uh, during the filming. Uh, she is the singer. She's the only female in the entire movie. Right. At the end. Yeah. Uh, which, if you haven't seen the film, there is a, there is a woman in it at the end. Mm -hmm. Spoiler there's, alert, there's one woman. Yeah. <laughs> Trigger warning, there's a, there's a woman in this movie. Um, first woman in a Kubrick movie. We've watched five of these at this point. Yeah. Um, no, yeah. That's not true. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, but uh, oh, also it was uh, in '92. The film was deemed uh, culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant by the Library of Congress, and they preserved it in the uh, U.S. National Film Registry. Yeah, so, I yeah. saw a um, that's I saw like a uh, fucking qu quote here. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. This is Kubrick. Um, an early critical test of Kubrick's obsession with control on the set came during the making of of Glory. This is as recalled by Kirk Douglas. So he made the veteran actor Adolf Menjou, Menjou mm -hmm. or whatever, do the same scene 17 times. Uh, quote, that was my best reading, Menjou announced. I think we can break for lunch now, he says. It was well past the usual lunchtime, but Kubrick said he wanted another take. Menju went into an absolute fury in front of Douglas and the entire crew. He blasted off on what he claimed was Kubrick's dubious par uh, parentage and made several other unprintable references to Kubrick's relative greenness in the art of directing actors. Kubrick merely listened calmly. And after Menju had spluttered uh, to an uncomplimentary conclusion, said quietly, all right, let's try the scene once more. <laughs> <laughs> With utter docile, uh, docility, Menchu went back to work. Stanley instinctively knew what to do, Douglas says. <laughs> that's that's my boy. Fucking insane to the end. Yeah, he also in apparently enjoyed riling up Kirk Douglas. I think this starts, this is like the beginning of, obviously, their very short-lived partnership and friendship um, mm. that ends with Spartacus, uh, where they parted ways, absolute enemies. But um, we'll get to that in our next Kubrick oh, episode. Oh, I didn't know about that. I'm, oh, yeah. I'm, this It's awesome. Because basically what this is, is it's like it's, Kubrick's like an indie director. Picture that, right? He's like an indie filmmaker yeah. getting a huge star. So it, almost in exchange, 
the the huge star Kirk Douglas gets Kubrick to direct this huge blockbuster film. Um, it's almost like the exact opposite scenario where instead of Kirk Douglas stooping to Kubrick's level, Kubrick is having to arise to Kirk Douglas's level. And uh, Kirk Douglas though, being the star basically ends up kind of directing the movie himself, cutting off Stanley Kubrick at every path, every chance he gives to like, like really like voice his directing uh, I guess ideas or like, mm. yeah, he, he really like, he, he really like cuts off a lot of Kubrick's like um, power in the making of that. And there's some photos that we'll share between us, Eric, that are really fun of Kubrick. Like basic, like you'll just see a picture of uh fucking Kirk Douglas and Kubrick's in the background, just flicking him off. <laughs> 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 that rules. Yeah. Uh, Cool. Uh, so the film begins with a voiceover uh, describing the uh, trench warfare situation of World War One, up in uh, uh, up to 1916 in a chateau. General uh, Georges Brulard, a member of the French general staff, asks his subordinate, the ambitious General Miro, uh, to send his division on a suicide mission to take a well-defended German position called the Ant Hill. Uh, Moreau initially refuses, citing the impossibility of success, but when Boulard uh, mentions a potential promotion, Moreau quickly convinces uh, himself the attack will succeed. I was pretty much on board with this, like, right away. Yeah. Uh, knowing that this is, like, an anti-war film, and, like, I mean, this pretty much just sets up the whole thing uh, perfectly. I mean, you just, like, you kind of sort of understand what's going to happen throughout the the film to an extent uh, yeah i think that um i think that this first scene is uh fucking bananas (laughs) i was when i was watching it i was like the direction of the scene is like absolutely insane these two men walk around a room talking for (laughs) like 10 minutes and none of what none of their movements make any sense like they spend they spend like a whole minute walking around a table together it like arm in arm yeah. <laughs> like it's yeah. almost like they're dancing in a weird way like there's no reason for them to not just sit in a chair and talk to each other about this they like sit down get up one of them sits back down one of them gets back up the other two like then at some point they walk so far away from the camera and microphone you could barely hear them and they walk all the way back <laughs> it's like it's it is crazy it is so dis- it was so distracting to me cuz like I guess that's just like not how anybody talks or acts or has a conversation, but like it kind of is reminiscent of old films. Like in old films, they really worked a room, you know, like they walked in every corner of the room, even though Eric, if we were going to get together, you know, we, we'd sit in a chair. We'd talk to each other. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we would be drinking cognac, though. Yes, we uh, definitely would be drinking cognac, and I would say, and I would swat your hand away and be like, "Not before lunch." <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but what I like, what I like about this, uh, when they're in this, uh, I guess, what is the, what would you call this building? The like huge fucking chateau, I guess, is what they call it. Yeah. Um, in this like huge luxurious building, the camera, I just like how the camera's like moving around. It's great. You feel like Kubrick's got like all this freedom in there. Uh, and then we kind of like immediately contrast, compare and contrast that with like, 
the like little bunker that we go to and like the the um the trenches where there's literally no place to go but like straight or back yeah the trenches man that is like yeah. that hard cut from that like really civilized uh almost stuffy french uh french like upper class uh, whatever you'd call it, study that room to yeah. the trenches is fucking ooh that is beautiful it's beautiful i also like the trench shots of him just he just has a dolly in the trenches that's all it is and it looks fucking so good um a chateau is a manor house a residence of the lord of the manor or a country house i had to know i had to know (laughs) what that what that word was uh Miro uh, proceeds to walk through the trenches, uh, asking several soldiers, ready to kill more Germans. Uh, He throws a private out of the uh, regiment for showing uh, signs of shell shock. Mm -hmm. Uh, Miro leaves the detailed planning of the attack to Colonel Dax of the uh, 701st Regiment. Uh, Despite Dax's protest that the only result of the attack will be to weaken the French army, with heavy losses for no benefit. Um, yeah, so this is our intro to Kirk Douglas, all shirtless and stuff. Yeah, in his in his little bunker. I like that bunker. That's like my favorite location in the in the film. I don't know why. I just like it. I it's just like it's that. cool. And again, yeah. you know, we talked about this before, but Kubrick's ability to play with light, you know, his his photography yes. background, really makes some of these indoor sh- scenes just like over the top and outdoor too especially in our next uh sequence of scenes that we're about to get to um again it's just like every every part of this looks so fucking beautiful like i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna mourn when we're out of his black and white period you know i know me too yeah we have uh we have i guess we have more. two more yeah, well yeah. we have lolita and dr strange strange love yeah yeah but it's yeah, it's it's and then we're in color and everything, of course, looks great in color, too. But th- this is just some this is really good, tasteful stuff. Uh, I mean, yeah. Plus, the budget on this is like we're getting to the million dollar range now, which is like, hell, yeah. it's cool because it's like, you know, every with every film, we're getting a little closer to, you know, relating ever, ever more because it's closer to us. Right. Uh, yeah. And we're recording this in the year 1959. Right. So, so we're, ba- we're almost close. there. We're almost there. <laughs> I'm just predicting that Kubrick uh, adapts the novel Lolita into a film. And I'm predicting that we'll, we'll be the only uh, film podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, prior to the... And I'm predicting that there will be a guy named Brian who uh, subscribes to something <laughs> yeah. called a Patreon. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm predicting that there will be blood for sure. Hell yeah. yeah. Um, prior to the attack, a drunken lieutenant named uh, Roger, uh, leading a nighttime scouting mission, sends one of his two men ahead. Overcome by fear while waiting for the man's return, Roger lobs a grenade and retreats. Uh, <laughs> the stupidest shit I've ever seen in my whole life. I <laughs> yeah. Why did he just run away? <laughs> why, do you, why do you have to throw a grenade? Um, visually, this scene looks fucking amazing dude though. it's so good like that de- really like that good. plane tail i think is what's like stuck in the gr- mud right it's like a crashed plane yeah yeah um corporal pa- uh paris uh the other soldier on the mission finds the body of the scout who has been killed by the grenade and confronts roger 
Roger denies any wrongdoing and falsifies his report to Colonel Dax. Uh, the next morning, the attack on the anthill is a failure. Uh, Dax leads his first wave of soldiers over the top into no man's land under heavy fire. Uh, I th- we're past this at this point, but when he's like telling his like when he's telling his men that they get that they're going for the anthill, it's like mm-hmm. uh, it's it's pretty brutal. It's really sad. They all yeah. they all kind of act like children during this scene, and it's like it's a real bummer. I mean. Yeah, I, I'm not gonna lie. This this film, I don't know what mood I was in, but this film got me emotionally. I was pretty, pretty worn out by the end of this film. Oh yeah, 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 for sure. Um, none of the men uh, reach the German trenches, and B Company refuses to leave their own trench after sustaining heavy casualties. Uh, Moreau, in rage, orders his artillery to open fire uh, on them to force them onto the battlefield. Uh, the artillery commander refuses to fire on his own men uh, without written confirmation of the order. Uh, meanwhile, Dax returns to the trenches uh, and tries to rally B Company to join the battle, but as he climbs out of the trench, the body of a dead French soldier knocks him down. Uh, yeah, that was crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, deflect to deflect blame uh, for the attack's failure, Moreau... Uh, decides to court-martial 100 of the soldiers for cowardice. Uh, Brulard persuades him. Should Worth mentioning, by the way, that this is based on a true story. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm sure. It, yeah. Yeah, it's... Yeah. And uh, and authentically, um, it was all uh, American guys <laughs> over in France. Yeah. 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 All English-speaking uh, uh, men. Yeah, I think some of these soldiers uh, were like actual. I think I read they were actual like German soldiers. Um, oh, they really? filmed it over in Germany. Oh, sure. Um, yeah. Brulard persuades him to reduce the number to three, uh, one from each company. Uh, Corporal Paris is chosen because his commanding officer uh, Roger wishes to keep him from testifying about Roger's actions. In the scouting mission, mm-hmm. uh, Private Farrell is picked by this his commanding officer because he is a social undesirable. Yeah. Uh, and the last man, Private Arno- Arnold, is chosen randomly by lot, uh, despite having been cited for bravery twice previously. I'm struggling to remember which guy is which. Which oh, I I, I I got it. I'll, I'll, it's uh, Timothy Carey is the social undesirable. He's the guy that cries all the way from like the the entrance to the to the firing range. Um, and okay. then and then Private uh, uh, Corporal Paris is the one who, yeah, you remember that like with the grenade and all that stuff. Like mm, he's the guy yes. who like challenges him. And then Private Arnaud is like somebody we haven't met before at this point in the film, but. Uh, I really like how all three of these picks, all three of these men that they pick are like indicative of like three separate tragedies. You know what I mean? Like one of them is being like chosen to be silenced essentially. Like he's being offed by a commanding officer who's a dirtbag. One of them is lauded as being almost like mentally handicapped and the other guy is just randomly picked even though he's actually a kind of a war hero at this point 
it's like three incredibly unfair situations. And I mean, it would have been unfair for anybody, but I just like how each person's like history, personal history is like incredibly compelling in, in how unjust and how unfair this is. Yes, I agree. Um, yeah, so uh, so Dax, uh, who is a criminal uh, defense lawyer in civilian life, volunteers to defend the men at their court-martial. Um, the trial, however, is a farce. Uh, there's How no dare you? Farce? <laughs> <laughs> written, uh, yes, which is French for fart. Um, <laughs> There is no formal written indictment. Uh, a court stenographer is not present, and the court refuses to admit evidence that would uh, support acquittal. I love the shot. I mean, the whole like court scene is really good. I fucking love the shot. The shots of the guys like approaching the the bench. Yeah. Um. It's it. It's just great. The it extreme so close good. ups. Uh, yeah. The Kubrick loved these extreme close ups and in, in big sixteen by nine widescreen. Like it's, it's crazy because you're not used to seeing films of this time shot this way. Like if you were gonna see an ex- extreme close up in a movie, like I don't know, Singing in the Rain or something like that. Like it, it would be like with the haze and like the glow, the brush up that they would do. Like whenever mm. you'd see like a beautiful starlit on screen, they they had like weird, like almost like glossy look, like almost out of focus to like make people look more beautiful or, or appealing. In this, it's just hard cuts to real faces, <laughs> like extremely close up, and it, it's really it's really good. It, it makes the film feel more modern than it really is. Like almost like it could be shot. Yes, I mean there's a lot of stuff that is in it that makes it feel old and look old. Mostly the way they're performing and talking and performing their dialogue. But a lot of the a lot of the way it looks looks very modern to me. And I think this is why. Yes. Um, yeah. Agreed. Uh, in his closing statement, Dax denounces the proceedings. Uh, gentlemen of the court. To find these men guilty would be a crime to haunt each of you till the day you die. Uh, Nonetheless, the three men are sentenced to death. Um, The night before the scheduled execution, Dax confronts Brulard at a ball uh, with sworn statements by witnesses attesting to Miro's order uh, to shell his own trenches uh, in an attempt to blackmail the general staff into sparing the three men. Um... You know what's weird? This scene, like, I noticed has, uh, there's, like, music. I think there's, there's like, music in it, like, background music from, like, the party. Mm-hmm. And I realized there's, like, not a lot of music in this movie at all. No. No, there's not. And there probably shouldn't be. Yeah. Um, I mean, I yeah. I didn't miss it if there was a lot of, yeah. if there wasn't music. Um, Brulard takes the statements, but uh, brusquely dismisses Dax. Yeah. Um, before uh, we get on to this next part, I, I would, uh, one of the things that we didn't met that's not mentioned in here is that scene where the three prisoners are kind of like talking to that priest. Do you remember that? Where, um, um private Arnaud, who's like kind of the drunk of the three starts to like confront the priest about how like none of this, there's is basically there is no God. This is my God. Yeah. This alcohol is my God. And then like, uh, the other prisoner 
punches him in the face and knocks him and like his head hits the wall. Do you remember that? Yeah. And they're like, yeah. and they're like, and they're like, uh, yeah, he might not even live through the night. Like he punches the guy so hard, his skull fractures. So like when these people are going to about to be taken to the firing squad, they even say like, Oh, you can't shoot this guy. He's like, he's basically unconscious. And, they, and they're like, no, we want to, still put him in the firing squad in fact try to wake him up right before we shoot him because the general or whoever wants him to be awake for it do you remember this any of this yeah 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 Yeah, it's like it's incredibly brutal i mean adding insult to injury obviously but like it's i don't know it was it's rough because in this next scene that we're about to read the guy gets hauled out on a stretcher and then like basically leaned up on a post <laughs> yeah it's really fucked up yeah um yeah so the, the the next morning the men are taken out to be shot by the firing squad uh dax suspects uh roger uh for his nomination of paris uh forces roger to lead the executions uh while a sobbing feral is blindfolded uh paris refuses roger's offer of a blindfold and reacts ambiguously to roger's meek apology uh, Arnaud, uh, meanwhile, is so badly injured after having started a fight in prison that he must be carried out in a stretcher and tied to the post. Men are executed. Um, did you think that something was going to happen? Like someone was going to stop it? Yeah, me too. I hoped something. Yeah. Yeah. I was hoping for s- something like that to happen, but, uh, nope. They're all, the uh, executed, uh, following the executions, Brulard, uh, breakfast with the gloating Moreau. Uh, Brulard reveals he has invited Dax to attend uh, and tells Miro that he will be investigated uh, for the order to fire on his own men. Uh, Miro leaves angrily, protesting that he has uh, been made a scapegoat. Brulard then blith- blithely uh, offers Miro's <laughs> command to Dax, uh, assuming that Dax's attempts. Uh, to stop the executions were ploys to gain Moreau's job. Uh, discovering that Dax was in fact sincere, Brulard angrily rebukes his, uh, him for his idealism while the disgusted Dax calls Brulard a degenerate, sadistic old man. Mm-hmm. Um, after uh, the execution, some of Dax's soldiers are uh, raucously uh, partying. Wow. The unpaid intern. I think, that I think we, it's raucously. Raucously, the unpaid intern that we that we hired to write our uh, <laughs> synopsis is uh, using getting pretty bold with his. I know. vocabulary. It's like somebody's taking the SATs. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. Uh, their their moon uh, their mood becomes a moon. Moon their mood becomes their moon more zappa. <laughs> <laughs> As they listen to a captive German girl singing the faithful Hussar Hauser Husser. Uh, yeah. One of those must have been right. Uh, they are <laughs> unaware that orders have come for them to return to the front. Dax lets the men enjoy a few more minutes while his face hardens as he returns to his quarters. The end. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. Good happy, uh, stuff. Happy yeah. Merry Christmas, everyone, and happy <laughs> yeah. New Year. Oh, uh, you know what? This is our. This is going to come out on New Year's. So just. You know, happy New Year's. Yeah, happy New Year's to you. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. So, yeah. Oh, what Eric, got? what did you what did you think of this uh, this film? I mean, like I said, this is like the first uh, great, I think, great film that we've watched so far of Kubrick's. Um, really liked the killing. 
I liked all of them to to some extent, uh, but this one is just like. I mean, it's it is a masterpiece, and it's um, you know, it's it's really it's really heavy, and uh, it looks fucking amazing. Uh, I don't uh, I don't love like war films or or like war stuff, yeah, very much. Um, but when it's done well like this, I I can get really into it. Um, and yeah, I just I really like the just sort of like the general um. I guess like anti-war like message of of it all and just the 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 um sort of like the idea that like these fucking like uh dipshits in this like castle like pristine like castle are like uh you know uh in charge of like all of these people who are like dying in these like trenches and shit and there's like um you know, the reason that all these people have to go on this like suicide mission basically is because one guy wants to get a promotion. Um, it's weird. I thought a lot, I, I was after watching this, I thought a lot about like military, like careerists and like people who like get into the military and like, uh, just like get really, uh, really into like advancing their career in the military. And I started Mm -hmm. thinking about like, what is that like? mean necessarily and like yeah. what uh, i don't know it just got me thinking about <laughs> about that kind of shit like yeah. pretty deeply and it's like what do you have to it's do it's really depressing to, to yeah. think about yeah it's like i don't know uh i was also re- there's like some guy like trump like pardoned some some guy some like uh fucking um war veteran uh and it was really this controversial thing and like there's this stories. This story came out like around the time that I watched Paths of Glory, so the two kind of were both like uh, influenced one another in my like brain. But uh, this guy, like his like uh, comrades in in war, like would say all this like terrible things about about him, about how he would like gleefully like kill people, and he like they saw him like murder like a twelve year old and stuff. Yet he's being yeah. like pardoned by the president and is being like uh you know like uh rewarded by the country basically for for his actions and it's uh it's pretty dark shit it's like uh i mean it's 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 pretty important that that pe- that someone would make a movie uh, about this so so yeah i i fucking really enjoyed this movie uh and yeah what do you think about it yeah man i mean i I agree with all those sentiments. I thought I think that I'm not the biggest war film guy either, so that's it, it's really tough for me to like really get into a war film. Um, it kind of has to have like that hook, so, uh, some kind of hook that gets me there. Like I don't know. I mean, I can't even really think of war films I like. I guess Saving Private Ryan's okay. <laughs> like stripes, stripes, yeah. Uh, Star Wars, um, but yeah. Child's Play three. Child's Play three. One of the best uh, war films I've ever seen. But I think that like this movie, I don't know. To me, it's so much crazier than like an average war film. Like because you get to see so many levels going on at one time. Like you get to see the behind the curtain stuff. I think you you know usually you don't get that privilege and i think that this was like obviously 
has such a human message to it. And not all of Kubrick's films are going to. So like, I really appreciate that, that like this has such a human foundation to it, I guess. I don't know. My girlfriend turned to me after we were done watching the movie and she just said like, gosh, she just said like, like I, I hate men <laughs> and it's, and it's really true. Like it, it really makes yeah. you, it just really makes you question a lot of like, what is the fucking point of all this? Like, why is everybody, why are they fighting in the big, in, in, in the first place? Is this all necessary? Like, like why, like, what what is the what is the where does the aggression get you and what does this aggression get you i mean major general georges brulard the adolf menju guy um he is uh, a huge piece of shit and gets his little yeah. feelings hurt and decides to fucking like execute people because he failed and like that is such a fucking crazy leap like inhuman cold-blooded leap to make that you're like gonna i don't know off some people just because you you're you know like you failed and i don't know i don't i don't know how you could ever make that choice but that being said i think this film is like one of the one of the all-time great like this isn't fair movies like like yeah. we're like the whole film. You're just like, this isn't fair. Like nothing is fair. Like every time something happens, it's like incredibly unjust. And like, even like characters like the Roger, the guy who Kirk Douglas says, you know, you have to head up the execution as you basically he's punishing him for, um, you know, what, what he, what like the, the officer accused him of, which is blowing up a, one of his own men even his like fate isn't at that bleak he he is told to execute some people but they can't really like execute him because they have no proof of what he really did and assuming that the general gets uh you know what's what, what inspected right like uh they're gonna have to like uh, uh investigate whether or not he told his own men to fire on each other uh, the what's the worst that could happen to him? I mean, could he be executed for that? The film doesn't really tell us, but I'm assuming it's just like he gets fired. He gets let go from right. the military. And like, that's fucked up too. Like he should be, I mean, by the logic of the film, he should be killed too. And yeah. I guess it's just like, it's just like nobody, nobody, there is not a fair end to any of it because even in the very, very end, Colonel Dax has to get all those men who are now crying, singing a song with the one, with the one woman in the film <laughs> and they have to go back to the front lines to all be killed. That's the, that's what everyone gets for surviving the last fucking crazy, crazy trench push. Yep. I don't know. It's, 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 uh, it's, it's, it's bleak. It's dark. It's sad. And Eric, as you mentioned, that we're still doing it like so no lesson learned <laughs> nope <laughs> not at all not at all uh the yeah. film went right over everyone's heads no one cares um but hey you know that's why i'm a i'm an absurdist you know <laughs> it's too hard <laughs> yeah. it's too hard to be an idealist or a moralist in this world
This is why I've been stocking up on guns for years. <laughs> yeah. Just building a bunker. Yeah. Um, this is why I uh, walk up to strangers in the alley and say, why so serious as I <laughs> applied more makeup. Um, so, yeah, that was, that was uh, Paths of Glory. Um, I get what, so next week we'll be talking Blue Velvet. Very excited. Uh, and then we'll do Spartacus. Also really, ex- I'm super excited for Spartacus, actually. I've yeah, that's that. I, have, so, I have also never seen Spartacus, so I'm very interested in that. Um, and then uh, I think, if we're going chronologically, I think after that we're going to dive into Twin Peaks Season 1, right? Oh, so after the, Blue Velvet? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, we should, uh, yeah. Yeah, we should definitely... Yeah, we're getting we're damn, we're getting very close. Yeah. I so I think the order would be Twin Peaks season 1, Wild at Heart season 2, and then the rest of the David Lynch films and then season 3. Season 3. That's going to be a fucking it. blast. Oh, I, I can't wait. I can't I'm wait. I'm so excited. Yeah. Um but yeah, so uh anyway, uh Jeremy any closing uh closing thoughts before we uh sign off here? No, not at all. Well, in that case, Norma, I'll see you in my dreams. Mm-hmm.